0: Top two poker podcast. Count it down, creepy cyborg.
1: Three, two, one, zero. You like flopped a royal and got two people shoving <laughs> into you, right? Support your beard grooming products.
0: Top two poker minds.
1: Oh my gosh! And <laughs> that's all we have. All right, ready, set, go. This is the part where you talk.
0: (laughs) All right, we're live. We got another pod coming. Uh, We got a special one today, Mr. Greg Merson. Needs no intro, main event champ, two-time bracelet winner, the man. Pretty stoked, Drew. What's going on with you, man?
1: Not much, yeah. I mean, I was pretty surprised when you called me pretty late at night. You're like, guess who we're going to have on the podcast and uh, you know we were considering some other people, but uh, Greg is uh, quite a bit uh, more famous and and a more accomplished poker player than the people than uh, my grandma that we were going to have on the podcast <laughs> in a couple months or, or wh- whoever Bradshaw. <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, I don't think we could be more excited about it. I mean, he's he's going to share some of his time uh, wisdom with us, and I, he hasn't done an interview, I don't think, for a while. You were saying so, it's pretty special. I feel pretty blessed to have him on. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Awesome opportunity. Just happened to be playing with him in a cash game. I was like, hey, uh, you want to come on the pod? And, uh, Greg, man, good dude. He's just like so down to earth too. I like Greg a lot. I've only played with him twice, but I've thoroughly enjoyed it, which we'll probably get into in the podcast relating to some, uh, recent news.
1: So, yeah. Uh, no spoilers. And it's a- it's a big deal for me because it means that we can delay the whole bankroll conversation for another couple weeks to a month because I haven't haven't been doing my homework like I should. I'll be honest. So it's kind of
0: well, a yeah. Butt you, saver got, for us. you got another week or two to run it up a little bit, not be embarrassed. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Um, so it'll, it'll be good. I think. I mean, we're gonna let it be organic, and we're gonna see how much time he has for us. And uh, but pretty much that's gonna be our day today. Is just talking to Greg. Yeah. What else do you need? All right. Well,
0: um, I think I think we're good. Let's just let's throw it over to Greg, and we'll uh, we'll see what Greg has to say. I hear noise. I hear yep. noise, Mister Merson. <laughs> What's up, man? Up, oh, dude. The man that you needs what? no introduction. Um, what do you got? Two bracelets. The six six max ten k the main event man you're just a 10k specialist huh uh
2: yeah uh old school 10k specialist now they're uh <laughs> now there like isn't any 10ks anymore <laughs> it's
0: true they did cut out a lot of the 10ks from schedule and what yeah, happened I mean, to the old 2500s
2: yeah i mean i don't know even like uh even like ept's got rid of 10ks you know they're, the 10k is kind of like non-existent it's either 5k and under or 25k and above it seems
0: yeah, you're kind of seeing uh, the polarization. Do you think that's just kind of a function of the poker economy not being able to afford the mass appeal of that 10k?
2: Um, I mean, I think it's more of like a rake grab for the casinos to to be able to have like a 3500 reentry, where a lot of the a lot of the pros are going to be able to to buy in several times, and then instead of raking them like between three and six hundred dollars on a 10k they're actually raking more because they're they're doing like let's say like three like a 3200 plus 300 and then someone buys in three times and now they're paying nine hundred dollars in juice yeah like, uh, and it just allows for you know more like generally they'll just get more rake from the prize pool than if they had a 10k
0: right on i forgot to introduce you so this is on the line also andrew bradshaw he's my co-host uh, hey, he's actually doing, a, he's a floor of commerce.
2: So. What's up, Oh, really? Okay. Yeah,
1: and I've been uh, I've known Chase since we were pretty much kids running around trying to figure out life, poker, yeah, everything in between.
0: How to do it as recklessly as possible at that point in our lives. <laughs> do
2: you do, uh, <laughs> do you do tournaments or cash? Um, I help out with everything. So
1: I, my official title is I'm the poker supervisor. So I take care of all the operations when I'm on duty. So I'm like a poker shift manager. Um, okay. But our main guy is. Uh, Chase's best friend, um, what Matt Savage. Oh, so Chase, I've run in with
2: him.
0: <laughs> I haven't really made that public, so I don't want to get into my Matt Savage uh, uh, stain.
1: Minor feud. Uh, but yeah, it's mainly Matt Savage for our, big, our bigger events like LAPC and stuff. Okay. So, uh,
0: maybe a touchy subject, but I kind of want to talk about it because Andrew being very involved in the casino industry, I... I kind of want to talk about the ARIA poker room locking people out of games uh, kind of drama there. Um, what I know you, it happened, started what, a couple years ago where you kind of got locked out of some of the high stakes games without any good reason. They're more or less running public games. What was what's the whole backstory there, Greg?
2: Um, yeah, I, this was the summer of 2013, and. Uh, Basically, it was the year after I won the main, and I went to Macau for the first three weeks of the World Series, thinking that the games would be awesome there because most people would be in Vegas. And then it actually was kind of the opposite. A lot of people had the same idea, and the games were uh, they were okay, not not the greatest. Um, but I got to play big every day, which is always fun. And then I flew to Vegas midway through the summer, and. The biggest I could play was 10 20 40 and that was like half the size of the smallest I played in Macau so I was a little uh I guess just like a little bit bored um and just wanted to play bigger this was like the peak of me playing uh the highest that I ever did in my career and I I saw this game going at Aria um and I put my name on the list a couple of times and never got called so I wasn't Really sure like what the deal was. I think this was the second summer that it that it was running, and this game was five hundred a thousand, no limit, and mm. uh, yeah. So basically, it was like the fourth day in a row that I had gone to Aria, and then this day I decided that <clears throat> I was going to uh, put my name on all the lists up to fifty hundred because they don't let you go any higher publicly, and then uh, I was just going to sit at the em- at an empty table all day. Because at this point now they were running two private games and that 500 1000 game had escalated to 1k 2k and 2k 4k which I wouldn't play higher than 500 1000. I mean I could and sell action well I would sell action at 500 1k but I could uh, play bigger but it would just be such a pain in the ass to raise like I would just have to have like a million dollars in chips which is just absurd. But uh, so at, at once that game got too big, they were starting a second game that would be between, like, 50-100 and 300-600, which is, for me, like, perfect game size at the time. And uh, that day, I just sat at this empty table and then watched a friend play uh, some high-stakes mix for, like, six hours. And then, uh, basically, I've told the story before, but long story short, uh, the game finally gets, uh, like the process starts to get going where you see John Rivera Ballon and a few of those guys, uh, like gathering people together. And then JRB asked me to leave the table and I'm like, I'm going to play. And then he says, do do you have any friends in town? Meaning like, did I bring a fish to play? Right. Like, no, I'm I'm just going to play. And he's like, well, you can't play. And then I was like, well, I'm first on the list for 50-100. This is the game they were going to start was 50-100. So what they did to freeze me out was they started a 100-100 game. So what they did was they changed the small line from 50 to 100. And then they made the game seven-handed and said that I could be on the list. So then I said, okay, well, I'm first on the list. And then the floor tells me, no, you're second on the list. And I'm like, well, I've been here for six hours first on the list for 51, and now this game just started, which I just got completely fucked out of. And And then the way they work the whole process is, like, they can take the game from seven-handed to nine-handed by adding seats for recreational players and then keep shifting it between seven and nine until I actually, like, I guess legally would be called. So being second on the list could really mean, like, tenth on the list if they keep changing it, if that makes any wow. sense. Yeah, I mean you're never on the list because they
0: just reduce it to however many handed they want to play.
2: Yeah, so I mean like that's that's how they get away with uh, like bending the rules there. And I mean it goes on all over the country now. It's not even just there. It really is like I know I mean even like 1025 games or uh, some of those games that are private all over the US. It's it's uh it's pretty frustrating. But
0: yeah I mean I've I've only observed what I assume is a similar thing at Maryland Live with some of uh, the ten twenty-five and bigger games. But, man, that's that's to another level of dirty. Did I mean, you-
2: yeah, I, I understand Like, if guys want to show up and start a game uh, with a set lineup. I think that's fine, and there's really nothing you can do about that. But like, if everyone's not there, let's say, within 20 minutes, I don't really think you can just be holding seats for people. And then if everyone does show up, the list just like has to be public and these, the ways of getting around these rules are, are just so uh, unfair. I mean, I don't know.
0: Like, yeah, Did you, did you take any action, like go to gaming or is there any recourse for you in that?
2: Yeah. I had talked to a bunch of the guys that live out there that had uh, contacted the gaming commission and, and nothing ever happens because they are just like on a handshake agreement with Bobby Baldwin anyways. So it doesn't really matter. And then, I talked to Bobby for like 20 minutes uh, at the REO one day and he just completely denied uh, like the fact that any of that stuff was going down when like everyone knows that it's happening. So like, I don't know. I mean, it was just a joke and like, Mm. uh, I don't, I don't want to have, I don't want to, unfortunately like those guys are so connected and I don't really want to be stepping on anyone's toes. So I just kind of like dropped the issue. Um, And, like, I have some friends that get to play in the game sometimes, so I don't want to, like, hurt their uh, bottom line either. So it's just, uh, there's really not much you can do. I don't know. I mean, when I start playing live, like, full time, I'll definitely try my best to not let that stuff happen, like, wherever I'm playing.
1: Yeah. It's so amazing to me
2: how much, uh, just how political it is.
1: You know, I just moved out to California about a year, year and a half ago. And even at Commerce, you know, there's certain people that get pinched out of the the big games. I mean, we don't do anything even close to it. sounds like what happens in Vegas. I mean, the one thing is we have a group of pros that are are rolled deep enough that our rule is, like, if there's a 100-200 combo or no limit, in order for them, they can change the stakes, but it has to be at least double for it to not be a continuation of the same game. So sometimes they'll take... A live player and then they'll say okay well let's kick it up let's kick it at 200 400 and that'll change the board but we have really strict like public based rules and public lists to protect for things like that um, yeah, which i think mean, like, is really good
2: we we used to do the same thing at borgata back in the day at 51 but like instead of changing the uh oh. instead of changing the um the stakes to be higher we would just make the minimum higher so like that right. would that would essentially like freeze out some of the guys that weren't willing to put up like 20 K men for 51. So I don't know. I don't know if I think that's unethical or not. I, I'm not really sure. I don't think it's like, I don't know. I guess it could be seen. Place, <laughs> yeah. That's
0: really, pretty close to, I don't,
2: I don't really think it's, uh, it's not like we took 50, and made like 50 K men or something like ridiculous. Um, but, uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of shades of gray. Yeah
1: it's hard though because there's so few games and especially like when a really good game gets together i mean watching it at commerce you know and there's certain people that are like frustrated because they're sitting on the outside for like 10 12 hours until the game breaks you know even longer i know that like at the level you were playing at or still play at like that's a huge thing is being able to even get in the game
2: yeah i mean it's uh it's probably what i hate the most about live poker but um I don't know. I haven't really had to deal I, I, like since that day. I haven't had to uh, to deal with it because I just I don't know. I just haven't played there, and Bellagio is essentially all public games. I mean, like there's still stuff going down where a floor knows that someone's coming in and they contact a pro who's tipping them like more than normal, and then they're always there when the game starts. So that's not necessarily private, but there's guys getting into games that seem like they're public but they might not actually be. Um, right, they're public but, but they're, some there's, there's people have you a can, ticket. Yeah, there's nothing you can do about that. I mean, like I've taken care of care of floors before, not for not for like text messages like that, but just uh, just for like good service, I guess, and and I mean, there's there's not much you can really do about that. And I understand like the recreational players want to have a good experience playing and they don't want to just be playing with seven dudes who aren't talking with their headphones in and yeah i mean like i i see both sides of it i'm not just like
0: that was one thing i wanted to address i was reading the two plus two thread and some people were being critical of you and kind of i mean because obviously they haven't played with you but i have played with you and they're saying things like well no one wants to play with greg merson because he's serious and he's just going to be like on his headphones and his hoodie like behind sunglasses and it's like You haven't played with Greg. You're pretty chatty and conversational when you play. Um, You're not just this robot that's super hyper-focused. I would say you're at the minimum neutral, but on the friendly, inviting side. So I don't think that's much of an argument.
2: Yeah, normally uh, in a casino environment, I try to talk less. I think I mentioned in the post that I try not to talk as much because I don't want to just be like some annoying reg that's just always running his mouth about random shit because if, if it were up to me that's what I would do just to keep myself entertained because coming from an online background live poker moves so slow that I have to either like not talk and somewhat like meditate or just be talking to keep myself busy because it, it's just moving so insanely slow when I'm used to playing um, and like uh, and then like from playing home games I'm used to uh, like chatting up guys about multiple different topics other than poker and like I think that I can uh, like relate to rec players and show them a good time and not just and like give them action and stuff like there, there's a lot of stuff that goes into to playing uh, like home games and, and whatnot but uh, yeah I definitely have like both spectrums like if I'm playing in Vegas and it's just like three Italian kids at the table and it, like a pro heavy game like I'm not gonna talk to anyone because it's just the atmosphere that you're in. I think that's
1: so cool that you have that awareness. Cause at least I see like every day, you know, I work with a lot of like five, ten regs and 10, 20 regs. And there's certainly some people, I know we've gone through this before on the podcast that they just don't understand their toxic presence. Like they either talk way too much or, you know, they just needle the live under the fish. Like it's good that that you have an overall awareness to kind of how to a- adjust even the social aspect to
2: what and where you're playing. Yeah. Cause there's so many different types of rec players. Like there's ones that want to be, there's ones that want to have that banter. There's ones that want to be like sucked up to, there's ones that don't want to be talked to. There's ones that want to be asked questions. There's ones that want to ask me questions. So I try to, I try to just like figure out like, what type of personality they have and like try to make it uh interesting for them you know i think that's huge
0: so you talked about you enjoying the online grind and i know the first time i played with you was at that high roller in baltimore and you were trying to like almost sell me on moving up to new jersey to play online because i'm kind of intrigued man i miss the online grind too so i'm curious though what what does the greg merson grind look like is it mostly online with a weekend trip here and there or what's your what's your kind of online grind slash live grind look like?
2: Well, I uh, I had a good PCA at the beginning of the year, so I ended up doing uh, a little bit more traveling this year than I planned. But since the uh, since the series, I played uh, the Barcelona main, but I was mainly there for vacation, and that's that's like the only tournament I've played. Like I skipped the Maryland Live tournament, I skipped the Borgata tournament. I haven't gotten. Yeah, I haven't played anything really since Vegas. And I've just been playing uh I'd say like thirty hours a week online and I, I generally try to play five days a week, six hours a day for uh three two hour sessions is usually what I'm like shooting for. Obviously like some things will change, but that's uh that's pretty much it. And like I play one two to twenty five fifty. Like today I was playing one two and then twenty five fifty went, which it doesn't really go that much. So I, I quit my one two tables, but I was playing two four to twenty five fifty it's kind of just like uh like what online poker is now this every game is almost like the same essentially especially two four to twenty five fifty it's all the same players um some guy only like a few guys actually will drop down to one two as well but uh i just don't really see any shame in doing it when it's slow
0: absolutely dude uh, how much? How much of that volume is actually at those higher levels, like
2: twenty-five, fifty? I actually just checked uh, today because I haven't ran too good there this this year, and I have thirty-five hundred hands of twenty-five, fifty this year, and then uh, I probably have like fifty thousand hands of ten, twenty this year, and then everything else is two, four, to five, ten. That's the majority of my volume is two, four, to five, ten. Okay. And you have there is, like, there is yeah, I could have more hands at those higher stakes, but I just try to play in good games, and I don't I don't know I just like uh, I'm like in a different part of my career where I'm not just trying to like play everyone, so <laughs> I I just yeah there's there's definitely games going more than uh, than my sample shows.
1: How do you I'm, see where you're at in your career at this point? Because I think like Chase and I were talking earlier, you've got some big names in poker announcing their retirement. You know, you've got Fiddle Holes and uh, um, some other people that are looking for for exits. I think we were talking about earlier, maybe that's partly because, you know, the industry's collapsed in on itself a little bit, at least in America. Like, where, where do you see the next, like, five, ten years for
2: yourself as far as poker? I, de- I mean, I definitely see myself continuing to play. I still love playing. Uh, I don't think that online poker has a very sustainable future. It's just, like, not – it's a way too predatory – environment like if, if people think that live poker is predatory it's it's 10 times worse online i mean yeah uh, all the software that allows you to get a seat directly in position on the recreational player as soon as they sit down all the the tracking software that shows you all the information as this rec player is sitting there presumably playing without it um the fact that someone like myself can play 10 tables i mean imagine if myself and other regs let's say at Maryland live chase could play uh, 12 tables at the same time, like all the games are going to get a lot harder, you know, and this is what yeah. you're seeing online. Um, so there's just so many things going against it um, that, I mean, you'll always be able to make like a decent amount online, but that, that's that good, like six figure income online is definitely uh, the window is closing for sure. Unless uh, I guess, unless like California open, but it's just, like if you look at the guys on the rest of the world sites right now they're really not doing that well uh for how much work they have to put in and how talented they are where uh where like they could be making more money playing live but i mean you know it's all about what you enjoy doing so right now i don't think i'm making as much as i could live but i I enjoy my lifestyle um but yeah like i think in the next couple years i'll have switched over to live poker most likely Nice, dude. Are you
0: uh, are you in MGM, and like moving down south again, or are you gonna stay up in your? I guess you're near Borgata, huh?
2: Well, I'm I'm right next to New York City, so I can't. If I want to play live, the closest place to go would be like Parks or Sands, and then I'm like two hours from uh, from Borgata. So okay. that's the only thing that sucks about being up here is that I don't get to play. Like uh, the session that I played with you, I think was my third session since. Uh, the world series of live cash. And like, I wish I got to play a few times a month or something just to mix it up. And I enjoy, I enjoy, uh, like the camaraderie. Um, but yeah, like I, I'm trying to just like grind online as much as I can while it's still there. And then I'll have plenty of time to play live because that's the, uh, like guaranteed foreseeable future of my career.
0: Right on. So I've actually got your, um, most recent, uh, Twitter uh, photo up uh, does the now fiance oh, yeah. fiance, right you yeah, yeah. awesome dude is she Um, she's supportive in that she's willing to move or is her lifestyle is her life mobile or what's going on yeah, with she's, that
2: she's always been awesome like that like we've been together for over four years and when I was traveling a bunch like I went to Macau three times for two or three weeks at a time and I went to Australia twice, all within maybe, I don't know, an 18 month period where I made five trips over there. And she was always just so supportive of me doing whatever I need to do. And then, same thing when it comes to moving around, uh, she's just kind of down for whatever. She, she's a physical therapist, and luckily, her job is in high demand and foreseeably in high demand even more moving forward with the uh, physical condition of Americans. So, like, she can get a job basically anywhere in the country, and if if we need to move, then uh, then she she can do that. So that's definitely a plus. And uh, I mean, it's also just I'm really fortunate to be in a good financial situation where like I don't have to move. At this point in my career, I don't have to like move to where all the money is. You know what I mean? Like if I were to move, let's say back home and play at MGM. And for whatever reason, those games really slowed down in like a year or so. I wouldn't have to say, like, oh, I need to move here because I can make more money. Like, I can just stay local and play whatever games are going and maybe, like, travel a little bit more, but not uproot the whole, uh, you know, maybe by then I have a family. I don't know. Hmm.
1: Well, I think it's pretty cool. You guys on the East Coast are in a really, really good position because I I know Wynn – I used to work for the Wynn in Vegas, and the Wynn is going to open up in Boston. You guys have MGM coming out there. I think you'll have an opportunity to have some really good cash games uh, in some rooms on the East Coast.
2: Yeah, I mean, basically what happened is there's there's no high stakes anymore, and there's just a bunch of like 510 to 1025s, occasional twenty five, fifty. Games in multiple locations, which I hated at first because it killed the consistent twenty-five, fifty, and fifty-one. But now I just look at it as a massive plus that you don't have to live near Atlantic City, and you have tons of options to live in major cities and have like good, good games um, where you don't have to live in not as nice of an area. So many options. Totally, huh? totally agree. It's
0: it's definitely nice being able to live. What are the options now? I mean, you have Florida, you have Maryland,
2: uh, yeah, Jersey
0: is mean, still an option, California.
2: Yeah, just from Maryland to uh, to Boston now. Uh, you're gonna have the the two casinos in Maryland to play five ten plus, and then you'll have Parks that has games on Tuesdays, even Sands and Bethlehem has games on Tuesdays and Fridays, and then uh, and then there's the Sugar House game that. Sometimes goes on Mondays, and then you ha- you'll have the game in Boston. Like, uh, I mean, there's just, there's just so many options within, let's say, like a five-hour uh, like drive of each other. Yeah,
0: uh, Drew, you want to do our quick fire questions?
1: Um, it deleted from my chat when when we got on the horn. Do you want to hit uh hit?
0: Yeah, i hit a, I'll hit the questions. So Greg, these okay. are. These are quick fire questions. We need quick answers, and this is just a fun way for us to know you a little better. Okay. Ready for this? Sure. All right, Greg. Which bubblegum flavor, Bazooka, Big League Chew, or Bubble Tape? Big League Chew. Yes, baseball player right there. Yeah. If you were a Star Wars character, who would you be and why?
2: I've never seen a Star Wars movie. Fail. Oh.
0: <laughs> Get off, close the combo.
2: Uh, What was the last book you read? Um, Money Master of the Game by Tony Robbins.
0: Mm. What would we find in your refrigerator right now?
2: A bunch of green juice and uh, salad.
0: (laughs) Nice. How would you design a spice rack for a blind person?
2: Wait, how would I do what?
0: (laughs) How would you design a spice rack for a blind person?
2: Wouldn't it have uh, wouldn't everything have Braille on it?
0: I don't know. You tell me.
2: I, that's, I mean, I think so,
0: right? <laughs> I like it. All right. How would you sell hot chocolate in Florida?
2: Fuck, I don't know, man. I, <laughs> is there is there iced hot chocolate? Like, I don't know. They made iced coffee. Why can't you do that?
0: Genius, an innovator. All right. And the last one, this is a staple. How does the internet work? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a series of tubes. Oh, I'm going to send you that YouTube link at the end of this. Classic <laughs> YouTube video right there. All right, those are the quick fire questions, Greg. I feel like I know you a little better right now. Braille, you're handicap friendly. Uh, iced hot chocolate, very nice, my friend. Nice. Yeah. All right, uh, we are live streaming this on Twitch. I actually got a Twitch crest question for you. Ninety nine problems is asking, Greg, will you ever stream on Twitch
2: again? Um. Likely not, just because I think, okay, if you're going to, I enjoyed streaming, but if you're going to build a, uh, a uh, like a base of fans that want to watch you, I think you almost have to stream tournaments. Like even, even if you look at someone like Doug Polk, who is streaming high sticks cash, there's just more people watching a tournament. If someone's at a final table and, and people want, they want to feel invested. They want a story where they can follow along for six hours And, like, you know, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end, whereas a cash game is just the same thing over and over and over again. So, like, when I was streaming, I just can only grow my user base so much as opposed to the guys that stream tournaments. And, like, obviously I'm giving away way more information than they are because their spots are a little bit more unique or, let's say, standard, whereas cash becomes a lot more complex. And, like, I'm... Giving away a ton of information for free, um, so yeah, I just, I just like had to stop. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think that people were making like a ton of adjustments for me from watching me stream or anything, but it definitely. The, I only streamed like ten times, and if if I would have continued, who knows if it would have uh, ended up hurting my bottom line too much. I am in agreement. I think the cash
0: game streams have a hard go at it. With the reasons that you stated, so uh, especially from your point of view, like you probably don't have much upside to streaming. Although the fans, well, I would love yeah, to Yeah, the it. reason
2: I, I was streaming because I was signed by W S O P, and and uh, I felt like they, I felt early on that they weren't very happy with the deal that they agreed to. So I wanted to. So this wasn't even in my contract to stream. I just wanted to show them that I could bring some value to the site and potentially, uh, like, have all the analytics for my viewership and bring to them to renegotiate a new contract. Uh, but it just, it wasn't that we were just butting heads on whether they thought Twitch was going to be like a big deal at the time. Cause I was kind of new. I was kind of early with Twitch stream stuff. Like Jamie Staples had just started. Um, and it was like Somerville and like Adrian Phoenix or something. So I, I was like, I could easily be in that top, let's say I could have easily been second or third most viewed streamer at the time behind Jason. Um, so there was definitely like a ton of upside there, but they weren't seeing that. Um, Cause they're like, okay, well if you have 2000 people watching you, how many people are watching you from New Jersey or Nevada? Cause that's where right. we have the market, you know what I mean? So like uh, eventually they ended up wanting me to stream towards the end, but it wasn't in my contract and I didn't, think they were going to resign me so I was just uh pretty over it
0: are you still a pro for them
2: no no I didn't get re-signed like I was signed from uh the summer of 14 through September of 15
0: are you affiliated with anyone at this point
2: no and I to be honest with you I like it a lot better just uh not having to like one of the one of the reasons I really love being a poker player is I get to work my own hours and like call my own shots, you know, and, and just like everything I do in my life is very entrepreneurial. Like I have a real estate company that is completely outsourced, but at the end of the day, like I can still call the shots with my partner cause I back the company and then I, I oversee all my money in the, the stock market as well. And like, not that I trade, but just the fact that I, that I, oversee everything like I really like the control aspect of being a poker player and then like whatever that additional income was coming from uh from being sponsored just wasn't basically just like it wasn't worth the stress of feeling like I had to please a boss for like uh not enough money like I guess everyone has a price but uh but yeah I'd rather just take less money to do whatever I want you know yeah I hear you with that I've always thought
1: those commercial sponsorships are kind of weird for poker players because by nature, you want to be able to be independent, and not really be tied down to certain timelines and other stuff. So I could totally <laughs> see that, too.
2: Yeah, it definitely ruins some people, too. Like, uh, I won't name the the person, but someone that I knew that was signed by Stars for quite some time was a high stakes home game and in a casino mix player who was like one of the best. And then uh, he got signed by Stars and traveled around playing all those tournaments and, like, did pretty good in the beginning and then definitely just got destroyed towards the end and uh, recently wasn't re-signed. And I just wonder, like, if he could do it all over again if he would have done it, you know? Because when you go into that lifestyle, you're only playing tournaments, you lose a ton of your... Of your like skill edge in cash because you're not able to put in the hours playing cash. Like if you are a high stakes cash player, you know it's different. If you only play tournaments, then for sure you should want to get sponsored because it's just additional travel expenses paid for and and tournament binds. Um, but if you play cash, it's just uh, like the marketing dollars just aren't really there to make it uh, to make it worth it. Like yeah, trying to. You, to make yourself, like, a massive name. I mean, I can see what Doug Polk's doing because he's really trying to establish himself as, like, the number one, like, millennial-era poker player so that if there ever is, like, a resurgence of poker, he has so much leverage. And same thing for Jason Somerville. Like, some of the deals that I know that he's, um like, uh, signed with different companies have been, like, pretty sick, you know? So, like... Definitely mad props to those guys, but I just I don't know. I don't see myself ever really wanting to go into the business side of poker like that.
0: I'm with you, dude. I'm surprised that I'm enjoying the content creation side of poker as much as I never thought I would enjoy it as much as I do. But I as far as the business side, man, that just it seems exhausting.
2: It really so is. I'm right there with you. Like and they just don't like a lot of the business side people don't understand certain things that the players understand. And I feel like they won't listen to us sometimes. Like I, I understand the players think that they know a lot more than they do, because after being on the business side and seeing how everything works, the players are very like needy and they think that they're always right. Um, but at the same time, I also think that the business side doesn't pay attention to certain things from the player side. Um, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I guess you're, uh, what, your name's Andrew, right? Andrew.
0: Uh, yeah andrew so
2: yeah i mean i guess he could like comment on that
1: yeah i mean i th- i think it's it's always hard because for for our business to really make sense um to really pair up with a lot of the poker pros you know you have to have a, a certain cache and a certain name but most of you like bracelet winners um I mean, it's really, really hard for us to be able to offer you anything that like hourly makes any sense, Uh, you know, and that's where it's hard also because poker's kind of pulled in on itself. Like I was actually going to ask you also, like (laughs) if you have any cool stories of people recognizing you after 2012, which is kind of kind of a side topic right now. But just as far as business, it's hard because we can't really leverage like a commerce, you know, financially, just there's just not a lot of deals that make sense for both sides. I guess I'd say.
2: No, I, I agree. I just think, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, there's certain things that I could get into. I, I, I'll give one example. So, like, one of the things that I was having an issue with with my uh, previous sponsorship was that they were concerned about all the rake back that I was getting. But the way a rake works on the Internet is that if there's $3 max rake and me and you are in a pot and we max out the rake at three bucks. I get fifty percent of that and you get fifty percent of that in terms of our contributed rate. So I get a dollar fifty back. Let's say I had a hundred percent rate back, I get my dollar fifty back, and then the site is still gonna make money off of the other one fifty, let's say minus if you have twenty percent rake back. So let's say they make a dollar. So we were really butting heads that like they're seeing all this money being sent to me, but they're not seeing like the bigger picture that I'm starting games, I'm keeping games going. And, like, I'm generating more rake for the site, whereas, like, if I didn't have the deal, I'd be playing on other sites, and I'd be playing less tables with higher stakes, etc. So, like, Mm. I felt like they were very one-sided on that, when clearly, like, if I don't play a game heads-up to start or continue a game three-handed without a recreational player in it, the game is going to break and there is no rake. You know what I right. mean?
0: Right. They're they're looking at the business side
2: of it instead of looking at the because they're the thinking m- like oh, poker this mechanics. They're thinking like he's just going to rake that much if he wasn't signed, and that's not the case. Like I'm putting putting in the extra work on this site specifically to like make it work for both sides. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. That's ahead,
1: probably true. one of the hardest things with uh, poker as a business is a lot of people look at it with an accounting background of what like they look at the what is direct so they they think that just they take it for granted that you're there playing and they're like oh we're giving up x amount of money but what they don't understand is the longer term like implications to poker as more of a living organism which is without you there without helping the branding without you starting those games short um it has a full a uh, way of affecting everything else, you know, larger scope. And a lot of times, people just see, oh, we're losing twenty-five cents every hand, or whatever it might be, and they just they get lost in the in the scuffle, kind of.
2: Yeah, like I would say, my biggest month of rake with them was around like ten thousand in one month. And since not being signed, I would doubt I've raked over two thousand in a month on the site because, I like the incentive for me to play the max number of tables allowed and and, like, start games, keep games going isn't there. So I wish that I could, like, actually see, uh, like, how much, like, what the difference is between, you know what I'm saying? Like, what, how much they are yeah. now versus how much I brought to the table before. It, it's kind of hard to figure out, but I wish that I could uh, actually, like, see those numbers. Obviously, it's not good to have a good player on all the tables, too. So maybe, like, that's another thing. That uh, they weren't very you know what I mean? Because if I'm if, if I'm like getting a bunch of rake back and winning in the games, it's like I'm sucking the economy. Yeah, you're just sucking the economy totally. Yeah.
0: Well, uh Greg, so being a cash game player, and I you know, you're not one of these tournament players that bink something every couple weeks. Um what do you have to do in terms of like putting work in and studying for poker? You said you play like thirty hours a week. Are you still on the study grind every week and trying to get better? Like what, what kind of things, Hey, I'm curious what kind of programs, software that you might use and just like I, how much time do you put in?
2: I just use a poker tracker for, and like I have a, uh, like decently in depth HUD, but I'm not the biggest HUD person because I don't think, I think HUD stats are, are not hundred percent accurate, you know, like let's say if it folds around to you in the small blind and my HUD says that you open 50% into the big blind, well you're not necessarily opening 50% into my big blind. Cause maybe you view me as being someone who folds too much or that defends really wide. So like that stat is like a fake stat, you know, maybe you're only opening like 35% into me if you view me as like a tough player and maybe you're opening like 70% into like weaker players. So there's a lot of, misinterpreted information with that stuff. So I try not to rely on it too much. And I'm, I'm way more of a field player, but I I use the stuff just to try to find like exploitative numbers that I can take advantage of. Uh, and this whole like GTO movement, I, I, I understand GTO somewhat from playing against people that study it and like use it specifically like only in GTO. So like, I've just played enough hours and hands versus them that I kind of understand that game theory, even though I don't really use it that much myself. Um, and yeah, like so, I don't do any work with like the solver stuff because I just don't really think it works that well with my like the style of play that I have. And um, Like, I would say that most of the work that I do off the table now, well, first of all, let me just backtrack. I literally just, like, think about poker all day, every day, and, like, if I'm going for a walk, I'm just, like, rethinking hands in my head from, like, the session I just played, or I'm asking friends about spots, or we're talking about hands. So I'm doing all this, like, accidental work off the table without realizing it's work because I just love poker. So that's, like, that's something that's really important. You know, if you don't actually love the game, then it is going to seem like homework. But I just like naturally uh, will have it in my head or be talking with friends about stuff. Um, And then I've just put in a lot more time lately into like meditation and uh, trying to... I've been really into trying to keep my body moving. I I really just hate working out. I'm really lazy, but I've been trying to do 10,000 steps a day every day, which is something I think almost everyone can do. And I I think it's like a... uh, it's like a game changer for how you feel. Um, so two years ago, I bought a treadmill desk that I use sometimes during the day. Yeah. I just will walk for like an hour to 90 minutes and just at speed like two and just something like that. That's so simple. It just makes you feel so much better and gives you that extra energy to keep, uh, to keep performing at a high level because it is such a, uh, I mean, I don't know how much online poker experience you have, but for for me at this point, like it's so draining. Like I would I would equate 30 hours online to playing like 60 hours of live poker in terms of how drained you feel. Yeah, in um, terms of the
0: mental energy that you have to expend, having quicker decisions, multiple decisions, multi-tabling.
2: Yeah, that's like awesome. one of the, That's one of the things that I. I'm definitely looking forward to when I make the switch is like the amount of times that I have to put so much energy into like a 16 to $30 pot in mid six games versus very, very talented players is like so unnecessary at this point in my career. You know, like guys that are really good that play up to 10 20, but let's say it is just like two, four and two five going and we're playing in the games together. Like there's just so much going on in these really tiny pots. Like it's so it's so annoying like you know what i mean that you have to use that much energy for something that's so uh in the short term like insignificant obviously when you play tons of hands they add up but um it's a lot easier to do that live when at least there's like you know a couple hundred bucks in the pot or a hundred bucks in the pot yeah it sounds like you're really
1: looking forward to transitioning into live a lot more do you have a timeline of when that might happen for you
2: um, I, I honestly think it's like a year and a half to two years away if it, like this is like pending on regulation, because if new markets open, then I'm definitely going to move like if Pennsylvania opens, I'll move to Philly and if California opens, I'll move to San Diego. Um, so like, who knows? Because right. when New Jersey first opened, it was insane, but I got here yeah. a year so
1: yeah, Who I'm hoping have. Cali opens, so uh, I can convince Chase to move out here, and you can be our neighbor in San Diego. Wait, do it's you huge. live in San Diego? No, I, I live um, I live down near Irvine. So oh, Am- kind of yeah, of like, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: You work in Commerce. Uh, Irvine's awesome. I actually was uh, was there um, in March.
1: Yeah, I'm excited. My fiance and I were down here, so I'm kind of you know crossing my fingers and hoping that, that it gets passed through.
2: Yeah, it's just tough to know, like, what the time frame is going to be, you know? Yeah,
1: because it's low priority for most of the legislature. I mean, they're just kind of...
2: It really is amazing that it's been over five years, and, uh, you know, there's only three states, basically two, because Delaware is so small. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm really surprised, too, because they're leaving so much tax money on the books. I mean, they tax the hell out of every casino I've ever worked for. I mean, it's such a huge... um, help to the local like community and people don't really see it as that. I always have these preconceived notions about, you know, the worst evils that they think poker and then they immediately associate poker with like rampant gambling and all the rest of it, you know, bring to a community.
2: Yeah. I know. Yeah. I'm Um, pretty sure the, the Maryland state casinos, the, uh, the slot machines get taxed at like 66%.
1: Yeah. It's pretty gross. Like in Seattle where Chase and I, Cut our teeth, and we both worked in small casinos. There was like an additional ten to fifteen percent tax that, right off the top, went immediately to the city. You know, well, and, and Seattle,
0: awesome. Seattle, it taxed gross income, not net income. So yeah. they could like have a profitable, Jesus. profitable by the books year, but once the state tax comes in, they're like negative on the year. It was crazy. That's but, yeah, it's
1: pretty rough. So. But a lot of people, I mean, I think we still deal with a lot of those common misconceptions. And obviously, some of the stuff that, you know, like uh, Full Tilt did and some of the other things that pop into the mainstream news didn't help any of us.
2: Yeah, there's been a ton of black eyes with poker. And uh, even with a lot of the stuff that, like, Stars has been getting a uh, bad rap for a lot of their changes. And I agree that they should have notified the players earlier or just like stuck to some of their promises. But from like seeing the business side of poker as well like i think that poker stars is doing a lot of the right things right now they're 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 being like very innovating and in creating new formats of poker to p- keep it exciting and bring new players in and like the fact that basically what they're saying to a lot of their regs is you need to go elsewhere and people don't want to hear that but like it's necessary for online poker to regain some type of liquidity otherwise like I said earlier it's just like very un- uh, unsustainable so like slashing rake back and like having pros spread out to other sites and stuff is like good for the economy instead of having them all jammed up on one site that used to only listen to the pros and like only make changes based on what would benefit the pros that just was like the worst thing long run that they could do and they're right. paying for
1: it's, it's always hard because poker by nature is par- a little bit parasitic. And I think that it's a consumer economy. And I think in general, you know, Chase and I have had conversation with this on the podcast. I think we've done too much to take care of the consumers and not done enough as an industry, both on like on my side, as someone that's working as a manager, but also as like the professionals who should work in unison with us to protect these producers because for every one producer i mean they're supporting a bunch of break-even players some winning players and they're supporting the games you know both online and live and it's so important that we have you know that we make sure that they're taken care of and that we try to cultivate an environment they want to play in
2: yeah that's that you're completely right and that's one of the like issues i have with a lot so many of the live tournaments being re-entry while while i understand yeah the marketing standpoint that like, okay, I probably wouldn't want to fly somewhere if it wasn't re-entry for like those pros. I think that you really just, you really just drain the economy. Like you don't give them any time to rebuild it, whether it's through poker or their job, like everything being a re-entry. I don't know. I, and I also just think it takes away that, that dream of a rec player making the final table is so less likely now when you have these pros being able to re-enter up until day two yeah, yeah.
0: i mean they, like
2: you got the you greg merson quote. The dream if they're never making it like
0: you got the greg merson quotes where you lose like kings to ace king and you say yeah i guess i gotta win the main event twice i mean that's what it's really like for these re-entries
2: it really is yeah 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 It. uh i think it's awful like i actually, you know, Matt Savage agreed with me. I know you brought him up earlier. I, I used to have some issues with him, but I really like him. And we've like squashed any beef that we've had uh, like a couple years ago. And I was surprised when he said that he agreed with me that they need to be uh, cut back on. And like, I think occasional special re-entry events, let's say like the Florida 10 mil or five mil, like stuff like that is really cool to get this massive prize pool. But I don't know, man, they're just like, Everywhere now, it seems like everyone's just money grabbing, and I understand like the casinos want to bring players in and make money off them. It is what it is, but uh, I just wish there was more outs you know? Yeah, I I and like I don't know if you noticed this, but the World Series has slowly started doing it without people realizing it. So almost every single weekend is these weekend warrior marathon uh, like reentry like fucking seven starting flight reentry bullshit <laughs> events and then even like i know this the deuce no limit 1500 was a reentry like some of those smaller events that like you wouldn't even like because they don't get a, a lot of players or attention you wouldn't have even realize it was a reentry i mean the world series was was kind of like the last um the last like tour that wasn't giving into that and now like i don't i mean like is the main event going to be a reentry eventually like that'd be pretty sad
1: uh, I yeah, mean, it would be. a lot of it happens. Uh, you know, I've talked to our tournament guys. A lot of it is because I think a lot of the tournament directors are scared and they work from the mindset they want to offer these guarantees, but but they're afraid to offer these guaranteed prize money if everyone only gets one bullet because they're just not seeing the fields that... And I think really, it is really, really terrible. Like, and especially, like, at the... I think it takes away some of the prestige of some of the bracelets. I mean, only slightly, but it just it's it's so cool like some of the stories this summer chase the guy you knew from colorado who ended up who's an amateur uber driver who ended up winning the um and uh, yeah the uh, colossus yeah yeah and the teacher from vancouver washington who i think she ended up getting third at the millionaire maker uh but i mean like some of those stories i mean that's what we need to get out into the public eye exactly so people have like a renewed interest because without that i mean the long term outlook is everyone's in here for a cash grab and it's just going to dry up real real quick and it's i mean poker 10 years from now it's not going to look at all like it does today either online or live
2: yeah it's like a cash grab on both sides cuz the pros the pros love that they can max out their ev and make the traveling more worth it and then the the directors and staff can uh, generate more rake but like it is very short sighted long run for the uh for the poker economy to be able to sustain all those re-entries just seems uh like pretty tough you know
0: yeah well greg i don't want to keep you too long i know you're gonna go watch some football tonight
1: uh who's playing tonight by the way
2: uh the cowboys are playing i'm a huge cowboys fan they're playing the vikings tonight
1: oh my gosh gosh. you got so lucky what do you want what do you want your team to do with tony romo trade him
2: yeah yeah i will trade him I'm kind of wondering what they could get for him though. Like I was thinking maybe like a third or fourth round pick. I mean that's, that's what I've heard.
1: That's what yeah. I heard. Probably something like right around there. Like mostly just getting rid of the contract. I mean I love Romo
2: and like I don't mind him being traded because I'll always know as a diehard fan that he was a really good quarterback and he could be doing the same thing right now. But to to like get rid of that cap space would be uh, like huge. So.
1: Yeah, especially since you guys have two rookie contracts with Dak and
2: Elliott. Uh, yeah, it's Ezekiel like a, it's kind of like what the Seahawks Amazing. had, like the uh, that that six-week period of like three to four four years where you pay your quarterback like six hundred thousand a year, it's yeah, like twenty million, and then you have all this extra money to spend.
1: Yeah, you guys, your team is stacked. I'm, got, I got to tell you, I'm from Seattle, so I'm a Seahawks fan, so I'm pretty jealous. <laughs> awesome.
2: I <Yeah>. think. Uh, <laughs> I've, man, it's such a weird season though because no one really looks that good. Even the Cowboys like don't have a good defense.
1: Yeah, it doesn't look that dominant. I mean, New England has shown a couple weekends or a couple games where they look really dominant, but then they look flawed. So we'll see playoff time. But I
2: think uh, Gronk is out for the season today.
1: Oh, it's official. Man, well, I mean, he's
2: out for two, like maybe he could make it back for the Super Bowl, but yeah, wow. it's two months. I guess he could make it back to the playoffs, but, yeah, like, I don't know. That's a massive loss for them. Yeah, it is.
0: Cool. Well, go Cowboys. I'll root for him. I don't really have any skin in the game, so. Aren't you Cowboys. a Denver fan? Uh, I am, just because I grew up there. But I couldn't tell you who their quarterback is, honestly. Who's the quarterback? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, mean, <laughs> I even,
1: really don't know. You can't even say you're a Denver fan if you're like, go Cowboys. Uh, I have no skin in go the game. Go Peyton Manning. I, like,
0: I don't know. Who took Peyton Manning's spot? Yeah. Oh my gosh, Chase! Whatever, you guys don't need to embarrass me. Come on.
2: <laughs> all, right. That's all right. Chase, I'm sure I'll, 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 I'll see you in a few weeks at MGM.
0: Yeah, I was just gonna ask. you gonna come down for a weekend?
2: Well, I, I have to be home for some stuff, so I'm, I'm gonna end up staying home for like nine days. Uh, so I'll be there the like the week before Christmas, during the week.
0: Nice. Yeah, give me give me a text when you're in town. Let me know.
2: Yeah, I'll uh, definitely hit you up. Grab some dinner, son. Uh, how it's going down there?
0: Right on, Greg. Well, I uh, really appreciate you coming on the pod. Um, I'll try to yeah. get it up tonight, and uh, man, it's been good having you. All right. Yeah,
2: thank Joe, you. Take care. Nice meeting you, Andrew.
0: Yeah, you too, Greg. All
2: right, see you guys. Bye, Greg. Bye.
0: Bye. Ah, love that man. Isn't he just like the most down earth guy? You'd never be like that guy. He won the main event. Just he's just a, another one of the boys. Love
1: Greg. Yeah, he's a really good poker ambassador.
0: I totally agree. Um, let's catch up with chat here.
1: Jonathan. Yeah, I'm sorry. Jonathan we missed chat. like one or two questions, but I thought with the flow of it, um, I think we missed someone's questions about uh, whether or not he's still coaching. Um, oh, yeah. I saw that Yeah, I, I meant to ask about that. I'm really sorry about that, but it just it didn't seem to lend itself to... I mean, because he's... You know, one thing that we... Like, as Chase, since you've actually interacted with him at the poker table, is just, you know, what type of personality does he have? And But he's very conversational, very down-to-earth. Um, seems really, really, really chill. Absolutely. It's like,
0: what? And that's the thing about, man, back to that Aria thing. I just don't understand how someone could lock Greg out of a game and say, like, he's bad for the game. I mean, he's bad for the well, game because he's taking money out of the game, I guess is what it comes down to.
1: But what it comes down to is like I've had conversations with you and I, I can't get into it. Like for the most part, commerce runs things really above board. But um but I think like you're about to break into that level in live cash where making friends, making connections is as important as anything because for whatever reason, there's certain people that are game starters that run these lists, and if you're not on it, you know, if you don't tip the right person, if it's run from a casino host or if it's just like some of these guys that run this list, I me, mean, it's tough. You're gonna to be locked out, you know. And it's really frustrating because I know we have guys come in from like we had a kid that came in from Sweden who was trying to play a big PLO game with some uh, really juicy spots and he was living in our hotel for like four months and he didn't understand certain aspects of the system that like our floormen worked for tips and he never never tipped them, so he was never first called for whatever reason, you know, stuff yeah, like that Yeah, Shocker <laughs> i mean you know it's like a 25 dollar chip and you're playing you're trying to play like 25 50 100 plo you know yeah i don't know gotta save your small blinds dude yeah <laughs> I mean, it's like penny smart and uh, hundred dollar bill stupid something like that yeah yes like that oh man uh, dude i hope i kick this cold soon yeah i hope you do too buddy and then uh Let's, uh, if anyone on your feed, if they want to give us questions, you know, for our next podcast, probably in like a month, three weeks to a month, always welcomed. Um, absolutely. Next podcast is going to be on bankroll
0: management. We we're planning on doing that this podcast, but can't pass up a man like Greg Merson coming on the pod. But, yeah, uh, next he doesn't podcast.
1: Give, he doesn't give many, uh, interviews, you were saying, right? Like he hasn't done one for quite a while.
0: Yeah. I think he's willing to. He just, uh, you know, he hasn't been really like in the limelight. He plays mostly cash games, not a lot of tournaments, not big tournaments. So um, I don't think it's that he turns them down by any means. I think he's just been kind of lying low, enjoying life, doing the online grind, getting engaged,
1: doing life. Oh, I was about to tell him, like, realize that engaged life uh, is great. But I mean, the one thing I was going to give a piece of advice is you got to get ahead of the whole marriage planning thing. Because I'm down to the 11th hour, and boy, um, you want to get all your ducks in a row. Oh, you forgot to ask him about the duck. Oh, the, <laughs> do the duck question. Dang you, Chase. Uh. <laughs> For everyone out there listening, the duck question's the best. I'll ask you, Chase. Would you rather fight one duck-sized horse or 100 horse-sized ducks?
0: Hey, you got it backwards, bro.
1: All right, I told totally you.
0: <laughs> Would you rather sure, it, fight it, it one that. horse-sized duck or <laughs> a hundred duck-sized horses? And I think the answer is very clear. You'd rather fight the hundred duck-sized horses,
1: although oh, you'd, rather, rather, you'd rather fight the huge horse horse duck because you could out evade it. You can run away from a duck that size. What do you I mean? mean? Ducks I, aren't
0: just like immobile. It can fly, for goodness' sake. I mean, could you imagine a big flying duck chasing after you?
1: Look at this. Raceland completely agrees. You want to fight the one duck-sized horse cuz you kill it, you're done. <laughs> no. Dude, yes, you can just yes. stomp.
0: I mean, wear some steel-toed boots and you can just like uh go go play soccer with the
1: uh, You're going to kill 100 mini like miniature horses that are the size of uh, ducks. I mean, I think there's like some financially you could do there if you stop fighting them. Probably sell them I mean, if you can, on.
0: yeah, if you can capture them, think about it. You have a hundred products to sell.
1: I mean, but if you have the one <laughs> duck sized or the one horse sized duck, I mean, it's, I mean, you've got quite an attraction as well. So true. I don't know. All right. With that, should we come to a close? Or- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Can't top that. See, look at this. See, the whole feed agrees with me. Five, fighting one versus a hundred <laughs> is nearly impossible against any animal probably but they're Wait, duck sized uh, would you okay I'll, let, me, let me put it this way I'll go fight one horse you go fight a hundred ducks and that, that'll settle it right am I wrong well, it's essentially the same thing
0: Uh, I don't know it's got to be close
1: it's got to be close it's got to yeah. be close is
0: that yeah, I mean the one thing that is true is if you are a firearm owner like myself you can just oh God, make shredded sure cheese trying. out of that horse-sized duck. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It's pretty I don't I don't have a hundred bullets. I mean, I got my AR with multiple mags, but a lot of reloading. See? So you're starting to lean the other way. Man, you know. I might be convinced. Alright. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, let's uh let's go and finish out. Yeah, if you guys want to hit us with some emails for the next podcast on bankroll management top two podcasts at gmail.com. Get them in. Um, I think we've had one email come in about that, but I definitely got some room for more listener mailbag on that. Uh, anything else we got going on, Drew, Drew you're getting married in January. Oh, I know it,
1: it is happening. Yep. Um, I'm looking forward to going to Jamaica and then, yeah, I'm, I'm actually, you know, something else interesting that I'm trying to do is I'm trying to start up like a small combo game because the combo games at Commerce and SoCal are huge. They're like 40, 80 or bigger, you know, like up to 200, 400, 300, 600. And there's a lot of players that are familiar with like like raz 2 Raztusi, like a bunch of stuff that's like less, you know, that's not seen really outside of like SoCal, Vegas, and a couple like the nosebleeds. So we might start up something really small. You know, like something like four um, eight, and start up like a ten game mix myself, our tournament director, and some other people at Commerce just for funsies. Cool, dude. So keep keep you posted. Might be fun, right? Playing some four eight, like oh yeah, um, badugi and badasi and stuff. I wish Triple I could play. Crop. it. I would probably play that game once a week just to get like play
0: it one session a week and screw it. If I break even, or even if it costs me like fifty bucks, hundred bucks a week, just to get competent at those games. Got to be a worthwhile investment.
1: I mean, it's tough because we want to try to. I'm trying to push my management to do it as like a time structure because for a rake, it's pretty brutal. But we we'll yeah. probably do seven seven hand like uh, game switch. Just do seven hands and then change the game. Probably mm-hmm. do like five to ten games. But it's a good way to like do things like no qualifier and a bunch of other games that really. It's like where else are you gonna play them? You know, unless you want to just pony up to fifty to hundred k. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I know that there's a couple people on the feed. They're actually from the California area. So like if anyone would be even interested in that, I mean, it's, it's in the works. I've just been so busy with everything, but we're probably thinking of doing like a, a small structured, uh, limit mix and get that hosted at commerce. Start at one day a week. Um, not as a private game, but just as like a open board, whoever starts the game gets a chance to pick and start with like 5 to 7 games and then week by week add another game in the mix. So, nice this podcast sponsored by mm-hmm. Comer's unofficially. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, buddy, hey, it's always good talking to you. Uh give you a little phone call after this and you want to call it a wrap. Yeah, bro. Uh sounds good. Uh
0: for any viewers out there that are my Twitch followers, if you're not a follower, hit the follow button. It'd be awesome. Um, I'm going to be out of town this weekend, so uh, we'll see you guys next Wednesday. That is a wrap.
1: Drew, i go to bed and take a nap. <laughs> you would. You would, Redbeard. You would. Can we All get right. a man chuckle on our way out?
0: <laughs> no. Besides, I'm sick, man. It, it's not going to be right. It's not going to be authentic. All right. All right, guys. I'm going to shut down the stream. Throw a host out for someone. If I do throw a host out, give him some love, give him a follow. And uh, we're out of here. All right. Thank you all. Bye.